This one's dedicated to all the freaky people out there. All us lovely freaks and weirdos. Hi, I'm Marilyn Sloshback, and we are here to feed this community. What incites and ignites you? And most of all, what makes you laugh? Because at the end of the day, heightened happiness is contagious. I'm bringing food to the people like a widow. Bringing flowers to a grave in the middle. Of the city, isolation is a riddle. To be surrounded by a million other people. Welcome to Feed This Community. Um, my guest today is Bingo Paul. Um, I would say politician is one of his hats, but um, through the knowing of him as an individual and a person in the community. He's also a businessman. And I am very intrigued how he has been able to bring that into politics, as I have often tried to put my feet in the waters of politics and find it very complicated to balance business and politics. So it's going to be really interesting to hear how you've been able to do that. Um, you know, I have a bunch of questions here that I asked, but I'm also interested in watching you maneuver through the pandemic as um, a background of a business person and a politician that represents a constituency, but also people in general in a state that um, sometimes doesn't see eye to eye on many different things. And, you know, I remember one day you said to me, we were having a conversation, I forget for what meeting we were in. And you said, you looked at me and you said, man, I can never figure out where you're coming from. Because I do tend to sit on both sides of the political fence when I get asked questions, because I don't necessarily um, toe the party line. And you can probably attest to that from the brief run we had together and uh, the issues I had with sometimes having to do what the party wants you to do. How, well, first off, let's go back one notch. Why politics for you? So it's great to see you, Marilyn. Politics is, uh, you know, I really enjoy politics at the most local level, town council meetings, school board meetings, because it's, it gives you a close connection of how your superintendent of schools is picked or how your police chief is picked. Um, and these are really the things that impact community at, at the greatest level. Um, less of what happens in Washington uh, or sometimes even Trenton. Um, these are the things that, that really matter. And I always found politics is the way to get that done. And uh and to figure it out, I remember about 10, 11 years ago, I was president of my town's business owners association, Hazlitt, and the town, um, which I'm a Democrat. They were Democrats time, but they were looking to bring a Walmart into the town, which wasn't a big deal, but they were going to give the Walmart a 10-year tax abatement. And a Walmart, if you know, does everything from uh, check cashing to every type of service. So here you have all these shopping centers and Hazlitt, all these small businesses. Each one of them would have been put out of business. Not a single one of them get a tax, tax abatement or tax break. Um, so we organized. I wasn't in elected office. I never ran for office. It's interested in politics, but we organized. We got people to the council meetings. We got it, and the proposal was eventually defeated. And it was at that point I kind of, kind of fell in love with the the idea of organizing to try to, try to make your voice stronger, which is, 
the essence of politics. And you know, if you look at deep inside yourself and try to um, kind of wrap your head around organizing and politics, and then you look at social media or the news, and especially in this climate, and you see how disorganized and um, unfocused some of this seems as the priorities at hand with what you're going through at any given moment in society. You know, I could say what I think of this question, but I'd like to hear what you think of it. What do you think your superpower is? Um, Civility. I think that uh, understanding someone's uh, viewpoint that I may not agree with. One of my closest uh, people I like the best in the Senate is this guy, Steve Orho. He's a very, very conservative Republican. He represents Sussex County. He goes hunting regularly with his grandkids. I'm a vegetarian. We literally don't agree much on policy, but I've learned to really appreciate who he is um, because uh, it's not just political beliefs. His worldview is different. How he grew up a lot different than how I grew up. And I have to appreciate and understand where he's coming from, not just dismiss it because I disagree with his belief. And I think that's that's what's important. We do a class together at Rockers every year on civility. Uh, and we try to get students together to talk about, hey, these are we're two senators. I'm a progressive. He's a conservative. We don't agree on anything, but we work together on issues like manufacturing and small business where we find those areas where we can agree on. But it doesn't mean that we need to demean each other. I think I vote against most of his bills. He votes against most of my bills. But we still go out afterwards and get a drink and and, uh, and and we build. And I try to do that with as many people as possible. I think often what happens in politics, you see people on Facebook or Twitter and they're calling the other person the devil or corrupt or evil. And they don't even know the other person. They have no idea who they are or what they believe in. And I think that's the challenge that we have to get back to in basics, just treating people like human beings. And no matter what they believe in, um, trying to, as long as they don't want to hurt people, obviously, to understand and appreciate that you can find agreement. But just because somebody is, you know, pro-guns or pro-life or pro-choice or whatever, however you want to characterize them, um, you know, that they're not pure evil. Their worldview is just different. Their upbringing is different. Their childhood is different. Their What their parents or grandparents taught them is different. And sometimes there's no right or wrong way. So I, I think civility, bringing that back into the discourse, especially after the last several years, you know, with President Trump, uh, who, who has not been uh, big on that, I think is more important than ever. Um, I think about Republicans like Mitt Romney and George W. Bush. I used to protest uh, outside of every anti-war protest George W. Bush was having in Iraq, and I hated all his policies. But he still was believed in civility. He still believed in, in, in decency, just stuff that you don't see anymore, unfortunately. Um, so I hope that's what we get back to. I think we're going to head back to that. I think President Biden believes in that for what I agree or disagree with him on viewpoints. He, he seems very civil. And I think that's that's how that's the role model that kids should look up to. Yeah, it was funny when we ran together, we didn't see eye to eye on some of the issues we were on the same ticket for. And, you know, I developed a a real feeling of civility with you in that process because we were both, you know, we're different age, but we were both young to the, the thought of a political run at that point. And 
you know, my business is very complicated when it comes to politics for some reasons I didn't even know at the time that I've figured out later on. But we always could sit and have a conversation. And and I remember you asking me questions, you know, why do you believe this or why don't you believe that? And I think sometimes we don't even have that conversation. We just jump to you're in this party, so you should have this belief when we are raised differently. You're exactly right on that. And our experiences do lead us to where we become as long as we look back and learn from them. And we're going to look back. You know, I look back at the Obama years and I say, I didn't always agree with some of his policies or the way things rolled out with healthcare, but I miss normalcy. <laughs> I miss like seeing a family just hanging out together and not fighting about things. I, I just, I miss that. And, you know, I, I look forward to hopefully the next four years getting back to some of that with, you know, friends and family who might not agree with my political views. I mean, when we ran together, my uncle is a staunch Fox watching Trump loving Republican. And he said, well, I'll vote for you, but I'm not putting a sign on my lawn, <laughs> you know, so it's it's funny how people maneuver through life publicly and not publicly. And you've always struck me as a person who is very authentic in your words and, and always asking questions. And, you know, when I look to people who ask questions, I ask them questions. So, you know, social media is pretty crazy right now. And, you know, I have this question that comes in my head all the time, like, what does like have to do with any of this? People liking you on social media and then turning around and saying the worst things they could possibly say to you. You know, what, what does that have to do with anything, any of it? You know, so when you decided to become the man you are to some degree, you know, get in get into business, start to mature as a human being. Were there any critical moments in your personal life that inspired you or um, propelled you to move forward? I think you got to learn, like any politician, anyone who runs for office, especially anyone who's in the Senate, they don't tell you they don't have an ego. They're lying to you. Every elected official has an ego. I have an ego. You, you clearly do. You think you can do something better than other people. So you naturally have an ego. The question is how to keep that uh, leveled at all times and to take criticism fairly and to learn from mistakes. And that's something that's not unique to politicians, unique to a lot of different professionals, a lot of different people, just harder for us, harder for elected officials more than anything. Um, so it's learning from those experiences. I think about situations and experiences six, seven, eight years ago, how I mishandled something uh, or even two, three years ago or even recently. And you just figure out how to learn from that and not make that mistake uh, twice. I think the most important thing is temperament, um, not just having any thought and going straight to Twitter or Facebook and, and writing that thought. I, don't, I think there's a lot of good things social media does. That's one of the dangerous things that it does. Um, and that's not always that's not always healthy. Also, not falling in with conspiracy theories. We're in the age right now of conspiracy theories everywhere. Um, and I can't tell you how many emails I get from people on conspiracy theories. Not healthy, not healthy, to not believe in, in fact and, and reason and science and math and things that we know that add up. Um, 
those are some of the, those are, I think some of the challenges, but I think, um, I, I think that, you know, we're headed to a good place. I hope we are. Um, I, I think what's scary about the last couple of years is just, we, we've gone to a place where facts don't matter. That when I was watching the 60 minutes interview last week, literally of a Georgia Republican secretary of state, who's like, I donated to Trump. I supported Trump. Math is not here. This is where it is. You know, we had two people who died who voted in the entire state of Georgia and were investigating those two claims. We've gone through it 10 times and the president is out there saying thousands of people died and they voted. And people believe that because of who's who's saying it. They're like, he's the president of the United States. So it must be true. Those, those are the challenges. I don't think we had that four or five years ago where we had um, people of authority pushing those conspiracy theories out. I think that's something that we have to all be cautious and, and move forward on. Yeah, I mean, ego is a part of it. And I believe that this president in particular wears his ego out there on his on his chest like no other. Um, you know, it's when I ran with you, I think that was the thing that held me back the most was my inability to believe in myself to push through the negativity that would come my way or the Facebook quotes or the customer comments, you know, that's, that's a big one for anybody, anybody listening to this, any young adult who wants to go after their dream, whatever that is, and all the experiences they have to get them to that place, whether it's the community they live in or, the heritage that they come from. I mean, I'm looking at you, you're not your average white uh, American man in the Senate in New Jersey. And I'm sure at some point that comes up for you in your life. I mean, it's great that we see so many people running for office who are young, who are of different nationalities and different sexual orientations. We have a vice president who's not only African-American, but also of an Asian Indian descent. So how does, how has that affected your life, both as a kid, as a young adult? Sure. It's definitely fear of the unknown. I mean, I, I grew up uh, uh, as a practicing Hindu. I'm not Christian and I, and I got married in a Hindu temple. So uh, my wife is Catholic. So it's definitely a little, little, um, little different in, in education piece. Again, it's uh, people's life experiences. I don't get mad if people ask me about it because they grew up in an environment or household or neighborhood where, you know, it's unknown, right? They might, they might have never met uh, someone who was Hindu before or Muslim or Jewish or whatever faith he or she may be or agnostic. But um, it's educating folks. It's making sure they, they understand seeing where those commonalities are and, and moving forward, definitely, um, you know, I always joked in my district, I think there's maybe like a couple hundred Indian Americans and I don't think any of them voted for me. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's a district that's 70, 75% Caucasian, 15% African American, predominantly in the Azure Park Neptune area. And then, uh, you know, five, five, 6% um, Latino, Latino. So, it's it's a it's not it's Monmouth County. Monmouth and Ocean Counties are not the most diverse places in the state. One of some of the least diverse places in the state. It's also the challenge of uh, you know prior to getting to the Senate seat, um, 
it, I'm a Democrat. A Democrat hadn't held it in 30 years. Frank Pallone was the last one. Um, but I think my predecessor, you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike her. I actually thought she was a good person, Jen Beck. We just had a policy disagreement. But she was great after the election. We worked together on constituent cases and transferring the files. And that's the type of civility that, you know, if I get defeated one day or, 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 or leave or retire or whatever, I, I, you know, you do the same thing for your successor. Um, I think, I think it's important just to, to allow people to have those conversations about race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, whatever they may be. And to say it, not to be disparaging, not to, you know, if they, if they're generally prejudiced or, or, or sexist or racist, that's one thing. But if you're generally curious because you, you, you've never met a Hindu person before, or you never met a Muslim person, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I dealt with those questions throughout childhood, uh, in school, in high school, in college, and well, you know, lesser now, I mean, the vice president, as you said, the vice president is, is half, uh, half Indian. So, uh, and you see a number of Asian Americans in the legislature now and in, in Congress, um, so our attorney general, uh, I'm sure he gets a he's Sikh American um, and, and wears a turban. And so that's a part of India. So I think it's it's more common now, but it's just trying to address those situations. And especially when kids are young, they want to fit in and it makes it makes it harder. You got to navigate that for every every child to, to go through that journey. And, and but it's not any different than any other you know, immigrant community, uh, or, you know, Irish 70 years ago or the Italians or anyone else, you, you navigate it and, and you see how you, you affect your generations after you. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt there needs to be some blinder apathy, self-imposed. I mean, I'm a woman restaurant owner, chef. When I started my career 30 something years ago, I had a French Japanese restaurant and a lot of my purveyors were Japanese or Korean, and they did not like dealing with an 18-year-old girl telling them what to deliver and how they got paid. And, you know, I, I look back and I said, I didn't even notice that I was being discriminated against or up against anything. I just kind of kept my head going in the direction I needed to go. And, you know, my kids go to a primarily African-American Latino charter school. They're one of five white children in that school. And it's funny because the questions that come up for me are the exact opposite of what might go on in a community like Avon or Spring Lake. You know, they're more concerned of why they can't have braids in their hair and why they we don't listen to this music or whatever those questions are. And it's just... You know, I, I'm so excited that we're in a world that's so diverse. Uh, you know, I look at the last year and all the rise ups that have happened over the last couple of years in America have come out of this turmoil in a positive way. And, you know, I think I feel like we need a few more rise ups, maybe some rise up about health care, maybe some rise up about Mexican immigration but at least the rise ups are happening. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to get to a really bad point before people feel motivated to come together and, and rise up um, as long as they do it peacefully and they don't compromise our democracy. <laughs> um, I'm OK with it. But so, you know, 
you have a very giving spirit. I've seen it in all of the Zoom calls that we're on. And what I mean by that, not is not just charity as it pertains to money and time, but um, you're very open to listening. And I wonder, did your parents teach you that tool of being the type of person who listens more than you speak? Uh I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's I don't know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, 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 I just learned early on that I don't know a lot and you got to learn and you learn from other people. You learn from experiences, especially in topics and areas. Um, I don't know. Um, I remember when we went through the minimum wage thing um, uh, and I voted against it and I tried to get it changed and my party still want, you know, they want to destroy me and Congressman Norcross sent out a letter and I should be primaried and this and that. Um, I, but it wasn't just my own experience as a small business owner. I just remember listening to the experiences of hundreds of small business owners and I had an unfair playing advantage for corporations that had thousands of employees who could afford it versus someone who owned a couple of businesses where, where or an ice cream parlor or a restaurant or something where it could crush them. And I think if you don't listen to people's experiences, um, there's there's no way to to figure out what to do. Um, and I think that goes across any issue, right? On whether it's funding for different projects or women's health care or or health care issues, you gotta you gotta know from people that have actually gone through the experiences, housing issues. I mean, I. Knock on wood, I've been blessed. I've always had haven't had housing problems, but I don't know the challenges if I'm not listening to those landlords and tenants that are going through it. So um, I'm hoping more people are in that and that are listening. And I think more important than anything is you don't you can't have people who are running for office who read something online or see something on TV and then that's their policy statement. People need to experience the actual people in the world and what they're going through. And if they don't do that, none of these bills, none of these policies, none of these uh, legislation is really going to matter. And that's the challenge. I can't tell you how many people, I used to be the county Democratic chair. We got some good candidates, but we would get candidates who come up because they love to watch the, the debate on Fox News or CNN or on some topic and, and or, or they come into a town. This would always drive me crazy. And it happens. It's not, a, it's not the worst thing. They come into a town or an area and they live there for like a year. They have no ties to the town, no kids in the school system, didn't own a business, didn't rent a business, did nothing but they want to run for office immediately um, because they were motivated by something at the national level or something. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But like when you don't know the people in the town or you don't have any ties and you, you can't even name the streets in the town, it becomes challenging to actually do that job. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the challenge. And I always tell candidates all the time, you say, why don't you wait a couple of years, get involved with the local little league, work at the local soup kitchen, try to meet some people, um, but, you know, it usually happens after a presidential. It happened after Hillary Clinton lost. It happened when Barack Obama. You get a wave of people that are so motivated nationally. And it's not it's not a bad thing. It's just trying to figure out how to channel that channel that energy. But when you want to run for council in a town or assembly and you've lived in the area for a year and you don't know anybody, you literally know like six people who live there. Not a not a great way, um, and and I think we need to, and both parties challenge with this. I always joke with the Republican chair I used to at the time, Sean Gold. We would joke about this. You would get someone who move into one town, they would want to run immediately, and he would say, "Hey, why don't you think about serving on the local zoning board or the planning board or trying to meet some people or do something?" That's that's some of the challenges I think in 
And, and then it allows that person to listen and to understand the concerns of that area before they run. Well, I think you're dead on, like with minimum wage, you know, there's such nuances to all of these subjects that we fight about that become so blanketed. I mean, just the minimum wage, you know, in our industry, we have minimum wage and tip wage. When I talk to politicians in Washington about tip wage, they have no idea what that means from a financial standpoint or an implementation for the employee. And you're like, whoa, whoa wait a minute, guys, you really got to do your homework here. <laughs> you can't just blanket a bill yeah. and include all these things and expect it not to affect even the employees don't want the tipped wage to, to go up. So, you know, I hear you on that one. It's sometimes really hard. To hey, it's realize. like it's it's like when they say the fight for 15, right? They get it's an arbitrary number. $15 for a local small business is not the same. It's still not a living wage. You're not addressing health care or housing or, or college or job opportunity. You're basically setting an arbitrary number because it looks good on a flyer or campaign message, or you can push it. You can pay everyone 15. It's still not get, it doesn't get people to where they got to. So until you have these real conversations about cost of living and housing and job opportunities, that's the stuff that people need to hear. Um, but unfortunately too many people will get, especially Democrats will just get chinned up because it's an easy slogan. And, and it, you know, it reminds, it reminds me on the other side Republicans go across the country, they brand the, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, police blue lives matter and police issues and stuff like this and try to brand uh, 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 or defund the police. That was an incredible one that they, they were convinced that every town wanted to, every Democratic mayor wanted to, to get rid of their police department. They would take this one liner um, and it's, it's so much more complicated. Unfortunately, both parties do it. It's not good and it, it doesn't actually help real people. So, you know, now you sound like a real politician, one that we want to move up in the world. So mm. you have aspirations after this. I mean, you came into this position as the senator in a very precarious time. I can relate being the chair of the Restaurant Association and being sworn in a month before COVID that, you know, your priorities shift and all of a sudden you're in this whirlwind of things that nobody could foresee we're going to come at you. I'm sure it has really moved you forward as a politician in a very intense amount of time. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? I don't know. Um, any, any, any politician who tells you they don't think about higher office is, is the being deceptive and lying. I've obviously thought of higher office, but life is all about timing. Um, you know, I ran for state senate at a time when Chris Christie's numbers were in, in the toilet and people were upset about Trump. So there's it's, a lot of things have to do with timing. Timing has to be right. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, it depends, you know, for eight, 12, 16 years, what happens. And I could see myself being in the Senate for a couple of years and going into the private sector, enjoying life or running for higher office. Uh, it, there's no real, you know, I'd also love the opportunity to try to move up in the Senate, try to get a committee chair or go into leadership down the road. Um, I, I, um, I enjoy New Jersey stuff. I've always been New Jersey focused, never really had an interest in federal stuff. So um, not that I don't have an interest. I just, I'm just very passionate about local New Jersey issues. Um, uh, and, and so I don't know, I see where life takes and see what opens and see 
see where things go. I can tell you though, if I'm still doing this 15, 20 years, that's a problem. I should not be doing this. I should be in the private sector or in a different office. Yeah. So. Well, we always agreed on that point when we were running for office on term limits. It's not chapter. It's not good. It's not helpful. And what about your lovely wife? How is she enjoying your politically heightened pandemic year? She's all right. We got a little dog, so we spent a lot of time with him. Took him to the dog park earlier today. He had a nice day. Gave him a bath about an hour ago. Um, it's as good as can be. We get 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 people health. Um, vaccinations are out. Taking care of especially those people that like who work in your restaurants, folks who who have some some who have no choice need the income they need to go. Those are the guy people that need to get help first and at least the option if they want it. Um, and to make sure people are getting COVID testing and 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 other resources they need. Um, I have the luxury that I can work from home, so um, not a lot of people have that luxury. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's prioritizing those folks. Yeah. And keeping people healthy. I don't think we talk enough about health and wellness in this vaccine world. We talk about getting the instant savior shot in the arm, but you know, I mean, you know me well enough to know that I believe in other things, but you know, I think we all have to stay mentally and mind body balanced and getting out and relieving yeah. some of the stress and anxiety that's going along with this long windedness of this pandemic is really important. So we've, we've got a number of alarming mental health cases that have happened as a result of the pandemic and access and care for that anxiety, depression, all those things are just as important. And it's just the beginning of what will happen to us if we don't address those issues um, coming out of this. This is a big one. It's probably one of the biggest crises that most people will go through in their lifetime. It's got to have some fallout down the road, you know? Completely. So if you were to leave the private sector, say tomorrow you were like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. Where would you where would you want to be and what would you want to be doing? Like if you had your wish thing, like I don't need money to do this. I don't I can live wherever I want. I can create this utopia of my life. Uh, this dream. Uh, um, I would I would be heavily involved in nonprofits and causes that I cared about and try to advance, uh, advance it, um, further. Um, you know, I'm involved in a, in a, uh, a young women's, uh, young, young girls, really, um, in young boys, uh, homeless shelter in India that, that was started by a brick resident in New Jersey. So I've been involved in that. I have a civic foundation where we do a lot of, a lot of work. We do a big scholarship program every year. We just did a big grant program in Asbury park for those that have, uh, three employees and less. We've, we've been trying to figure out different things. I would probably, if I had that option where I didn't have to worry about money, I'd probably just focus on that and try to figure out more programs to help try to lift people up. And I've always been blessed to have every opportunity. Um, and I think everyone should just have an even playing field. So if you got a spirit animal following you on your shoulder, what kind of animal is it and why? Toy Poodle. It's a little dog I got. Munchie. She's my buddy. Why, why is she your spirit animal? 
you know, because anytime I'm down, anytime, whatever, I just hang out with him for a few minutes and it's like, everything's fine. Even he's being crazy and annoying. He's just like so easy to go and just wants to be loved, wants to be scratched. I'll sit by my feet. Like doesn't any, you know, just like not worried about anything. Just like the basic stuff. And uh, it's nice once in a while. It's nice. We got a puppy for Christmas too. Oh uh, yeah. I'm sure. How, what kind of dog? We got a Weimaraner. Is that a big dog or a little? Big. It's uh, we had a Weimaraner lab that was 110 pounds. So I'm not going on the bed with you guys. Go. And I like a big dog that can just sprawl across the bed with me. So um, it's been great. It's a it's a great distraction to have a reason to get the kids outside to not be yeah. on a tablet, on a phone, in a Zoom, and just be silly. Completely. You know? Yeah. Awesome. So last question, then I'll let you get back to your life. Um, so you got your last dinner in life. You can invite whoever you want. Could be 10 people, one person, dead or alive. And what are you making for them? And most importantly, what are you listening to music-wise? Okay. Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, what am I making? I'm, I don't really make, I'm not good at making anything. A bowl, bowl of cereals, maybe. Um, I'll pick up some pasta, maybe, or eggplant parm. Uh, and what am I listening to? I love, uh, been listening to a lot of Ed Sheeran lately. Very relaxing. So probably Ed Sheeran I put on. That's just, that's been my mix most recently. And who are you inviting? my grandparents who passed. I would love to see them again. Nice. Why? What was your connection with them? I used to go, they lived in India. Um, they helped raise me here. And then when they got older, they moved back to India. Um, and I would go visit them every single year. And when I would go visit them, on the way back, I'm, I'm really into World War II history, specifically concentration camps, history of Nazism, all that stuff. So I'd go to India for a couple of days and then on the way back, I would visit a different concentration camp. I would go and travel on my own. Um, uh, and it was very freeing. I wouldn't usually book hotels or anything. I would just, you know, go along with it. So usually March or April every year. So I go there for a week, go five days in either Austria or Germany or Poland or wherever. Um, and, and try to try to learn as much as possible. Uh, about struggles that were happening in different times of history, specifically that time period. Uh, and obviously that stopped. They both passed away a year ago. And obviously with COVID, um, uh, I stopped doing that. But uh, I always look forward to that every year and spending those five, six days with them. Oh. Well, Vingo, Paul, you are a lovely human being. Oh, um, even more lovely every time I talk to you. I'm so glad to know you and... I am honored to have you support me through my various annoying questions that I email you and your I'm staff. Sorry, I don't always get you answers, but I try. You do, and I love your open-mindedness and your ability to listen to all the nuances of everything that we're trying to accomplish in our world of business, but also on topics that we've agreed to disagree on. The conversations are always great. And I'm always happy when I see you on a Zoom screen because I know thanks you're... For, thanks for inviting me and spending time with me. Well, you go have fun with that puppy and your lovely wife, and 
I'll see you at the next event or meeting online. <laughs> I hope to see you soon. All right. Namaste. All right. <laughs> Namaste. Thank you, guys.